The Retro Lounge is a look back into the archives of the Recruiters Lounge podcast with Jim Stroud and Karen Matinen. The Recruiters Lounge podcast posted weekly between the years of 2005 and 2010. With energy, wit, and opposite points of view, <laughs> Jim Stroud and Karen Madden discussed, debated, and squabbled like children over HR issues that affected the workplace and society overall for the benefit of all who would listen. This episode of the Recruiter's Lounge originally aired on February 21st, 2006. It actually was the very uh, second episode in the long-running series. This is the original description. Today marks the second in a series of regular podcasts about the recruiting industry. I'll call it the Recruiter's Lounge, and it will feature news, interviews, and commentary on the recruiting industry. If you're reading this on my blog, then it is playing now. Smile, enjoy, and tell a friend. <laughs> now, uh, that's the original description. What um, I should have added to this description <laughs> was the guest. I always see here. Uh, I'm looking at uh, the Wayback Machine. Yeah, okay, so um, my guest was Ken Virgis, uh, who was the Senior VP Corporate and IT Recruitment for Countrywide. Uh, he was my guest, and the topic was recruiting in India. So uh, listen to hear what it was like through the eyes of Ken Virgis uh, back on February 21st, 2006, right after this important message. Critical race theory supports the logic that all whites are born racist and oppressors by nature. They are to be viewed as a collective threat to non-white people and beyond redemption. This sentiment is already infecting the American workplace via racial sensitivity and diversity trainings. Despite the obvious controversy, such trainings are being accepted as just and fair and at an alarming pace across corporate America. Racism Reimagined How Critical Race Theory Imperils the American Workplace is an ebook that I wrote. In it, I do three things. One, I explain the basics of critical race theory. Two, I demonstrate how critical race theory is negatively affecting the American workplace. And three, I hope, <laughs> I hope, <laughs> I inspire a resistance to critical race theory being taught in the workplace. In light of the increased sensitivity to recent events like the George Floyd protests, the emergence of council culture, and the pressures on corporations to adhere to political correctness, the information in my ebook, Racism Reimagined How Critical Race Theory Imperils the American Workplace, is a counterbalance that should be carefully considered prior to new investments in diversity training. Racism Reimagined, How Critical Race Theory Imperils the American Workplace is a free resource that can be downloaded and, by all means, shared with those in your network. A download link is available in the podcast description. Hi, I'm Jim Stroud. Welcome to the Recruiter's Lounge. The Recruiter's Lounge is a podcast of news, interviews, and commentary on the recruiting industry, and it was designed with you in mind. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your time in the Recruiter's Lounge. Anybody recruiting technical personnel for more than five minutes has to agree that a lot of talent comes out of India. If you've been reading my blog lately, then you know how curious I've been uh, about recruiting in India and the various issues and cultural nuances associated with that. Now, personally, I have zero first-hand knowledge on India. 
but I know someone who does, Ken Virgis. Ken will be chatting up his HR experiences in India next on The Recruiter's Lounge. You're in the Recruiter's Lounge with Ken Verges, Senior VP of Corporate and IT Recruitment for Countrywide. How are you, Ken? I'm just great, Jim. Good morning. Sure. Countrywide, for the benefit of our listeners, what exactly is that? Countrywide Financial Corporation is the parent of Countrywide Home Loans. Many people know it as the company that is financing America, that is bringing home ownership to America. Countrywide is a multidisciplined company, owning a bank, an insurance company, commercial loans, credit cards, auto insurance, but primarily what keeps the lights on around here is financing home mortgages. Ah, well, that's where the money is, I guess. Yes, it is. I've been uh, sort of reading up on India and different challenges concerning that. Uh, I understand you have a background in that. Could you go to a little bit more? You bet, Jim. India is a great culture, and I was uh, I had the fortunate opportunity of visiting India for nine weeks in the fall of 2004 for a big four firm I was working for at that time. Okay. They decided to move candidate sourcing for the U.S. to India, and at the same time move many digital or desktop type HR roles to India. In total, they decided to move 64 U.S.-based jobs to Hyderabad, India. Hmm, is that unusual, or is that a growing trend, as you say it? It's very much a growing trend. It's, it offers not only an economies of scale, but offers also a leverage of time zones, hmm. in, in that there's an 11.5 to 12.5 time zone difference between the central U.S. or eastern coast and India. So you sort of have to have a 24-hour office, I guess, to operate that. That's pretty much the way it works. So individuals in India could go in during their normal work hours of 8A to 5P. By the time their work was finished, they would package it, send it to the U.S. The U.S. was coming online, and, and it worked beautifully. Hmm. Now, I've never been to India myself. What was the biggest culture shock for you? The biggest culture shock was it's a big country of a billion people. Hmm. You have to be comfortable being around people, whether it's in a coffee line, in a restaurant, in a taxi, or just walking up the stairs. Uh, people are not afraid of getting right up close to you. They're not picking your pocket. It's just with a billion people, you do look like sardines. Many of us have seen the pictures of, of people in other parts of Asia, like China, mm. in their subway system. India is very much like that, although maybe not as sophisticated, it is that crowded gym. So the concept of personal space is sort of lost there? Very much lost. Huh. Very much. How fierce is the competition for talent over there? I hear a lot of, uh, I won't say hard stories, but maybe I should, about how hard it is to recruit talent uh, from that area into that area. Well, it's, it's not just that there's a challenge for talent. There's a challenge for good talent. As we know in the U.S., many Indians will have a bachelor's degree, a postgraduate degree, the challenge is in finding those degree programs from the upper-level universities that allowed the individual an internship where they actually worked on a Fortune 500 company's project for a period of time, giving that person some acclimation to what is business or what can business be globally. The challenge for talent is there, um, but there's also an abundant population of talent. As we, U.S. companies, continue to migrate some of our processes over there, our cut is going to be what is the college equivalent and also what is the English equivalent. India being under British rule for hundreds of years, uh, m many 
Indian natives speak the Queen's English. So immediately, once someone starts coming through a grad school, you can almost remove um, language barriers. Then it becomes almost an academic equivalent. And do they understand U.S. business, Jim? Hmm. One of the things I was speculating about India on in my blog was that I could easily imagine a lot of companies um, setting up headquarters over there and setting up different uh, branches over there and also um, several relocation houses, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, saying, come over here to India where you've relocated a lot of your technology. Why not have a home over here as well? Do you see a lot of different kind of services like that catering to the U.S. to come over there? Very much so, and it's not just recruiting and sourcing. that That's our passion here, but other companies are moving many of their non-personal digital services or call centers to India. Again, it's an economies of scale, and it's also leveraging the time zones. Uh, we have You have your top five international search firms that have offices in India to do first-level candidate sourcing. You have some of the almost every big four CPA consulting firm has an office in India. You're also seeing some of your large banks put a lot of the processing, payment processing, uh, over in India through their different time zones. You, you, I would say you probably have five major cities in India where you'll find a depository of not just talented, educated people, but you also have an affordable lifestyle for those people, and you also have the government giving U.S. companies concessions to set up house there. Hmm. Is diversity recruiting ever come an issue over there, you think? You know, that's very interesting. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, during the nine weeks I spent over in India, in, well, in prepping to go over to India, meeting with the board of directors for the company I was working for, hmm. they asked me to make, make certain that diversity was within the recruiting mix. And I looked at the board and I said, please explain to me, what is diversity in India? Yeah. What is it? It's like going down to Mexico, if you will, uh, make, and making sure you have diversity within your recruiting initiatives. Diversity in India is really divided by two factors. The region someone comes from, that is, northwest India, maybe the home of the Patels, mm -hmm. southeast India, getting down more towards Sri Lanka, you have a different surname that may be dominant down there. So it's more the regions you come from. The second driving factor of diversity within India are the religions. Religions blend and mix. You know what someone is. You either see it on their desk, or they excuse themselves several times a day to go to prayer, or they're not there after 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon or whatever. Religions between Hindu, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Sikh, or, or that is more of the blend and the culture that exists within India. So, again, it's geographies and religion is what diversity is about. Hmm, interesting. What would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned over there? To be very, very specific mm -hmm. and very exact in your directions to anyone that is working in India who has never worked in the U.S. There, there, many individuals I worked with had worked in the U.S. for periods of time for business process outsourcing BPO type companies, but then had repatted back to India. They had a, they had an acclimation to U.S. business. They had adopted our fast lifestyle. They had, they had adopted our way of speaking. But for those professionals in India that have not experienced U.S. business, you need to guide them very exact, very precise with directions. You need to also ensure for the contingencies that if they hit the wall or they hit a roadblock, 
they won't sit there and look at a blank screen and wait till the next morning when you have your conference call. You need to make sure they have a backup program or they have additional work on their desktops that lets them at least continue working through their work day. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of interesting there. There are also, there are also some, some euphemisms that we use within the U.S. that I, I would advise anyone who may be getting ready to work with India telephonically mm. or maybe traveling to India to, to think about picking up a global etiquette guide. There, there are ways of approaching people. There are certain gestures you don't do. Uh, example, we here in the U.S., we might high-five someone with our left hand. Mm -hmm. That is something that is not accepted in India. You do not use your left hand uh, for shaking or for touching someone else. You Why is that? Right hand. Uh, said to be politically correct, the left hand is used for sanitation purposes in India. Huh. I didn't know that. Additionally, we here in the U.S., we might use a phrase during a meeting to table something. In the U.S., we determine that as being, let's hold that till the next time we get together. Right. In India, to table something means to bring it front and center to this meeting, and it will be the central point of our conversation. Hmm. Very interesting. And one thing I noticed, too, um, here in the U.S., when I've interviewed... Um several candidates from over there, over here, uh, I've noticed that some of them will have, uh, for lack of a better term, an American name. Yes. Uh, they may have um, I don't know, Harry or, or whatever. Um, in India, do they have something like that? Whereas when you went over there, did you have to set up an Indian name for yourself to be sort of uh, more conducive to the culture? or? No, I, I retained my U.S. centricity. Uh, but, but people in India will take on American names for two reasons. One is because they're working for an American-based company. It could be an Accenture, a Deloitte, a Bank of America, a Microsoft, or a Google. And they want to fit in, or they're, or they're a recruiter. And, and they don't want to leave an Indian name on someone's voicemail. They want to leave the Harrys or the Al's. That's one reason, is, is for cultural fit. The second reason someone may adopt a American name is because, Jim, they've been converted. The missionaries from the U.S. are very strong in India. Mm -hmm. And if you if you identify someone that has taken on name of a Daniel or a Joseph or a Joy, chances are they have been converted. Hmm. And they have gone to the Bible, or perhaps through the missionary work, through the, their, their religious mentor, they have chosen a name other than their birth name to follow going forward. Now, I know, uh, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of companies are setting up shop over there in India, and I read recently how BT is considering opening up a research uh, facility over there and also uh, in acquiring uh, several startup companies that focus on telecommunications. How big is the startup scene over there? With so much technology and so many people in technology, I imagine, it's, uh, I imagine it being something like Silicon Valley over here. It is tremendous, and the Indian government is very quick to offer tax concessions to companies and also to make commitments to building out the infrastructure of not just the telecom and the Wi-Fis, but also the sanitation, police, sewerage, fire support. Uh, many, many areas where companies are setting up, an infrastructure grows around that company, and next thing you know, you have little mini silicon valleys being created in Mumbai, which is the old Bombay, down in Hyderabad, and also in Chennai. You have little Silicon Valleys, similar to what we have, but it's all started with the government identifying land, 
giving the land, allowing the company to build, and then creating that that uh, civic infrastructure around that company. Very good. Well, I definitely appreciate your time and sharing uh, maybe your thoughts and experiences over there in India. You bet, Jim. It's a pleasure. I, I would I would encourage anyone who has the opportunity of working directly with India or visiting India for business purposes to do so. You come back, you come back a lot humbler, appreciating everything we have, the opulence, the obesity, and the freedoms that we have here in the U.S. Um, but but at the same time, uh, you, you come back with uh, just a global respect that I think will be a great investment in anyone's career. Ken Verge, Senior VP of Corporate and IT Recruitment for Countrywide. I thank you for visiting me here in the Recruiter's Lounge. Thanks, Jim. Talk to you soon. Well, that's it for this show. You've been a wonderful audience. If you like what you heard, love what you heard, or <laughs> just plain hate what you just heard, uh, let me know. Your feedback matters. You can reach me through my website at jimstroud.com slash podcast. That's J-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D dot com slash podcast. So until next time, I'm Jim Stroud, and you're not. And so this ends this edition of the Retro Lounge, home of classic episodes of the Recruiter's Lounge podcast. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe now so you don't miss a future episode. Okay, cool. Until next time, bye-bye. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional professional Book Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!